Hi there, and Merry Christmas from FS for CS, Frank Sinatra for Christmas Seals. We got a song here about mistletoe and holly, two mighty important fixins come Christmas time. But it takes other things too, like Christmas seals to make our Christmases truly merry. Because Christmas seals fight tuberculosis. Christmas seals help keep each of us off the sick list of TB and on the gift list of good health. So for jolly Christmas, Christmas seals, and mistletoe and holly. episode number 70. My name is James Scully. Today on Breaking Walls, we're celebrating the month of December by spotlighting the Jack Benny program. Jack Benny was the highest rated radio comedian of his era. Beginning on radio in 1932, he was a radio mainstay until 1958. And the program's Christmas shows, by the way, are some of the most famous in radio history. If this is your first time hearing Breaking Walls, thanks and happy holidays. You can find Breaking Walls on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn by searching for Same or by following at The Wallbreakers on SoundCloud. You can also go to thewallbreakers.com. Our Wallbreakers Unity t-shirt line, it's doing really well. I want to say an incredible heartfelt thank you to friends and strangers alike who have posted photos of themselves wearing the shirt throughout the world in 2017. That means so much to me. These shirts, they're in honor of the unity between the residents of the five boroughs of New York City. And you can find the shirts at thewallbreakers.com shop. This month's topic on Breaking Walls, it's celebration. It's something many cultures do in the last month of the year, along with taking stock and tying up loose ends. If you have been enjoying these Radio Chronicle mini-documentaries for the past year, I'd love an iTunes rating review. Word of mouth, it's still the main distribution growth method that this show has, so the more people you tell, the more people who can tell other people. And for any other information on myself, James Scully, or about The Wallbreakers, you can go over to thewallbreakers.com. The Jell-O Program, coming to you from Radio City, New York, starring Jack Benny, with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, and yours truly, Don Wilson. The orchestra opens a program with Hooray for Hollywood. You are listening to audio from The Jell-O Program, starring Jack Benny, originally broadcast at 7 p.m. on December 11, 1938, on NBC's Red Network. The cast included Don Wilson as announcer, Phil Harris as the wise-cracking band leader, Benny's wife Sadie Marks as Mary Livingston, Eddie Anderson as Rochester, with Kenny Baker as the singer and comedic stooge. crowded days that will go by like the wind with so little time for planning or preparing your daily menus. Well, here's a helpful hint. Stock up on Jell-O tomorrow, for with Jell-O on your pantry shelf, you can win that race with the old clock. Jell-O dissolves instantly, sets quickly, and offers you dozens of delicious desserts prepared in next to no time. It tastes just grand, served perfectly plain in any of those six delicious flavors. Or you can dress it up with different canned fruits for a touch of quick and easy variety. Just be sure to get genuine Jell-O when you buy, for Jell-O brings you that delicious, extra-rich fruit flavor, a rich, full-flavored goodness that simply can't be topped. So for ease, speed, and swell things to eat, ask your grocer for Jell-O. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we bring you a man who came to New York in the middle of winter without an overcoat and still hasn't bought one, Jack Benny. Thank you. Hello again. This is Jack Benny, the holdout talking. And Don, I wish you'd stop harping about an overcoat. I told you last week I don't need one. I know, Jack, but it's dangerous to walk the streets this kind of weather without a coat. After all, this is winter. Don, believe me, cold weather doesn't bother me. I'm just naturally rugged. 
Well, I was the first fellow in Waukegan to ever get a haircut in the middle of December. <laughs> I can take it. <laughs> well, that may be so, Jack, but I still think that you're not dressed warm enough. Why, Don, it hasn't been so cold this week. As a matter of fact, it's been raining most of the time. Then why don't you buy a raincoat? Listen, Don, are you selling clothing or jello? <laughs> jello. Then stick to it, or I'll fatten up Graham McNamee for your job. <laughs> On May 3, 1932, vaudeville performer Jack Benny premiered on the NBC Blue Network as MC for the Canada Dry Ginger Ale program. That first season ran two programs per week, one on Monday and one on Wednesday, and both at 9.30 p.m. That's pretty good from a man who doesn't even know me. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is Jack Benny talking and making my first appearance on the air professionally. By that I mean I'm finally getting paid which, of course, will be a great relief to my creditors. I, uh, I really don't know why I'm here. I'm supposed to be a sort of a man... I got it through the Ed Sullivan Show. The sponsor... The Canada Dry Ginger Ale, they heard me on the Ed Sullivan Show, and as soon as that show was over, they called me and uh, made me an offer. What happened was, I was in New York, and Ed said, Jack, why don't you come on my show? He did a sports show or something. I said, what do we do? He said, what do we do? He said, oh, let you and I sit down. We'll write something. So we sat down, and there wasn't much to the show except little talk, but evidently the agency for Canada Dry Ginger Ale perhaps liked my speaking voice because that's all he could go by. And they made me the offer right away. Now, give my love to the gang and hope to see you before you leave. Your devoted mother, Gypsy Rose Livingston. Wow. Uh, P.S. It's only two weeks to Christmas, so give my love to Jack, too. Well, that's very sweet of her. What a racketeer. Now, let's get on with the program. Oh, Kenny. Hey, where's Kenny? He's supposed to sing right now. I don't know. Oh, I remember. Kenny borrowed $10 from me and said he was going out to see the World's Fair. The World's Fair? That doesn't open until spring. He'll wait. Darn that kid. Well, if we can't have a song, I'll have to play a violin solo. A violin solo? Get back in your seats, man. That's what I say. Hand me a violin, Phil. Now, wait a minute, Jack. Can't we talk this over? I know what I'm doing, Phil. Let go of me. Hey, boys, do you know uh, At Long Last Love? No. How about my reverie? No. no. Fine orchestra. Hey, piano player. Yeah? Do you know when it's tulip time in Holland? I think it's in April, isn't it? <laughs> Oh, never mind. They'd probably ruin it for me anyway. Well, as long as we have to do without Kenny, play something, Phil. We've got to get going here. Jack Benny had heard these Warner Brother cartoons, and he called me in one day, and he said, Mel, he says, I've got a bear at my vault that guards my vault. Says, can you growl like a bear? So I said, sure. He said, how would it sound? I said, like this. He said, good, you're on next week. Well, I, I remember talking to Jack Benny one day. I asked Jack once why, because I, I was really serious. We were getting big, big laughs. And I wasn't sure why. I was very happy that we were getting laughs, and so was Phil, and so was the writer. But I wasn't sure why, and I asked Jack. He said, well, I think it's because the two of you, when there's a really difficult situation, do and say what everybody would really like to do and say if they had the nerve. And they don't have the nerve, so they laugh because you really do. You know, and you just do it. I don't even it's think funny. that Jack was even aware of that. If he was, I never found out about it. And I spent 16 or 17 of the most beautiful years of my life with him a man who was one of a kind. I think everyone would agree with Well, me. what the hell, what? he proved that. Uh, Jack signed me to a contract. It was a five-year contract with a two-week option. If I didn't make good in two weeks, uh, he had the option to drop me. Then uh, in the first year, it was for every 13 weeks, so they would pick me up after the first two weeks for the next 11. Then it was every 13 weeks. 
and uh, I stayed with him, as I say, for the full five years. Well, Jack I, had a basic philosophy, if I may divert here for a moment, that, as I analyze it, and that is, Jack, it, it was obvious that this was his philosophy. The bigger he could make the supporting people that worked with him on the show, the bigger it made the Jack Benny show, and the bigger it made Jack Benny. Now, this is a leap that I don't think any other comedian ever took out of Jack's book, and it was so sound and successful that I'm surprised somebody else didn't pick it up, too. Benjamin Kubelski on Valentine's Day, 1894 in Chicago, Illinois. The son of Meyer Kubelski, a Jewish saloon owner and later a haberdasher who had emigrated to America from Poland, and Emma Sachs Kubelski, who had come to America from Lithuania. The family settled in the suburban town of Waukegan, Illinois. His parents hoped he'd become a professional concert violinist and had Benjamin playing the instrument by the age of six. At 14, he was playing in dance bands and his school orchestra. However, young Benjamin didn't care for school or studying and was ultimately expelled from his high school. After, he tried his hand in his father's business, but he flopped there as well. So at age 17, he turned to his one skill, the violin. He began earning $7.50 a week on a local vaudeville circuit. The next year, in 1912, he formed a musical duo with a pianist named Cora Folsom Salisbury. She was a buxom 45-year-old divorcee, which, as you can imagine, at the time, generated a lot of polarizing media coverage. This ultimately proved to be a spark point for Benjamin because a famous Czech violinist named John Kubelik, whose name sounded familiar to Benjamin Kubelski, legally pressured Benjamin to change his name due to fear of bad press. Benjamin agreed and changed his name to Ben K. Benny. The man who was run out of Waukegan, Jack Benny. For the next five years, Benny honed his performance skills and began to add bits of ad-lib comedy into his routine. It all began one evening during World War I while a member of the United States Navy. Benny was performing for the troops and his violin performance was booed so voraciously that, with prompting from fellow sailor and actor Pat O'Brien, he was forced to ad-lib his way out of the jam. His comedy left the sailors laughing, however. After, Benny began to receive more comedy spots in the reviews and did well, earning a reputation as both a comedian and musician. By 1921, Benny had become good friends with the Marx Brothers. He accompanied Zeppo Marx to a Passover Seder in Vancouver, at the residence, he met his future wife, Sadie Marks, who was then just 14 years old. They next saw each other in 1926, when Sadie was 19. Benny instantly fell for her. They were married a year later. When a female performer dropped out of Benny's act on short notice, he asked Sadie to fill in. Although she suffered from terrible stage fright, something that would really haunt her her entire career, she also proved to be a tremendous natural comedian. Sadie would perform with Benny for much of his career under the stage name Mary Livingston. In 1929, Benny's agent, Sam Lyons, convinced Irving Thalberg, who was an American film producer at Metro Goldwyn Mayer, to watch Benny perform at the Orpheum Theater in Los Angeles. He did, and Benny signed a five-year contract with MGM, where his first role was in the Hollywood Review of 1929. His next film, however, Chasing Rainbows, did so poorly that it eventually got him released from his contract and opened the door for Benny to break into a new medium, radio. In 1932, he was invited onto Ed Sullivan's radio program, uttering his first radio spiel. This is Jack Benny talking. There'll be a slight pause while you say, who cares? Shortly after, he was signed to Canada Dry Ginger Ale. 
For the next two years, Benny switched sponsors and networks as he honed the structure of his show, eventually winding up back at NBC for a new sponsor, General Foods, the makers of Jell-O and Grape Nuts. Insisted on the comedy commercial right from the beginning. Right and from the very first show. When you had the sportsmen on the, um, was yeah. it the Lucky Strike well, program where they jelly, came in? That was Jell-O, Lucky Strike, right, everything, right. yeah. Well, you wrote most of those, didn't you? Or have with a big my writers, with my writers, yeah, sure. We wrote every one of them. When we started for Jell-O, the Jell-O commercials saved Jell-O because Jell-O was going out of business almost on account of Knox Gelatin was mm. beating Jell-O, beating the hell out of them. And so they wanted the comedy commercials, figuring that that could be the one thing that would save it. And by golly, it did. It, it did it. How long it brought, were you on for Jell-O? Oh, for a long time, General Food, Jell-O, and then when they had enough of that, we went on. We stayed with them for Grape Nuts Flakes and Grape Nuts and all this and that. And then, I don't know what happened with that. We were on for years and years and years. And then I went with Lucky Strike. I think Lucky Strike made me a, a bigger, better deal, whatever it mm. was, so I went with Lucky Strike. What happened was, the last year that I was with General Foods. So I had a few shows that weren't as hot. But I still had a lot of great shows. This so was in the middle 40s? The so-called famous Jack Benny yeah. slump, that you yeah. moved from number one to number seven. Or something like that. Or they thought, so they practically said to me, watch it a little bit, because some of the shows, as though every show had to be perfect, you know. See, I spoiled them. So the minute they said that, I went to my, and then they went back to New York. Now, they didn't have an option. The thing was over, but they did want to give me a new contract. But the way they said to me, just watch a little bit, I got mad. So I said to my manager, I said, let's get another sponsor. I don't want to be with them. And we wired them on the train as they were going back that we will not be with them anymore because right away I had like four or five big offers from Lucky Strike from everybody mm -hmm. and we grabbed Lucky Strike immediately. <laughs> Jack Benny program, starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, Larry Stevens, and yours truly, Don Wilson. Tis the night before Christmas, and at Jack Benny's house, there are presents for all, even cheese for the mouse. <laughs> Jack is up on a chair, then he's down on his knee. But you have to do that when you're trimming a tree. Well, we're all through, Mary. Gee, it was nice of you to come over and help me trim the tree. Well, if I didn't, you'd never get it done. Say, Jack, shall I put the snow around the bottom now? Not yet. I want to see if the lights are working. I'll hold up the bulbs, and when I say ready, you plug it in. Okay. Ready? Ready. Pull it out! Pull it out! Pull it out! <laughs> My goodness. Oh, Jack, why did you make me shot it off? Those lights were so pretty, especially those two blue ones that kept flashing on and off. Those were my eyes. <laughs> I must have been holding on to a bare wire. Well, it's your own fault. Every time you fool around with electricity, something goes wrong. It does not. I know plenty about electricity. Oh, sure. Remember what happened two years ago when you fixed your doorbell? What happened? I pushed the button and it burned down Crosby's house. <laughs> oh, stop it, Zachary. Anyway, hand me Jack that roll Benny of tape. Uh, do you remember when you fired the sportsmen and you hired Bing Crosby and Dick Hames and Andy Russell and Dennis oh, yeah, to substitute? Yeah. As a gag, you mean? Right, right, as, yeah. a, as a gag. Yeah. There was a lot of reaction to that. Uh, yeah. That now, Don, what about Wasn't the quartet it, uh, you say you've got? Dennis is here. Where are the other three fellows? Well, Jack, they ought to be here any minute. In fact, here comes one now, Andy Russell. Andy Russell! Andy, 
Addy, I can't believe this. I mean, do you want to be in my quartet? Why, sure, Jack, if it'll help you out. Gee, this is wonderful. Dennis, this is Andy. Where's Amos? <laughs> it's not the Andy and Amos and Andy. This is Russell. Not that Russell. <laughs> Now, Andy, I'm thrilled with having you in my quartet. But, uh, uh, uh... That's Portuguese for how much money do you want? <laughs> yes, Portuguese. I mean, how much money would you want? Oh, $35 a week. $35 a week? Mm-hmm. I can't believe it. Well, would 30 be all right? <laughs> no, no, I'm perfectly willing to pay $35. You must spend at least half of that for tooth powder. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> must be wonderful to have such sparkling teeth. Well, it has its drawbacks. Huh? Well, when I talk to Donna Michi, we blind each other. I can understand that. Well, anyway, Andy, you Oh, hold it, Jack, hold it. Here comes another member of the quartet. Dick Hames! Dick Hames! I haven't seen you since you were on my show three years ago. Oh, I know, Jack. It's nice to be with you again. Well, thanks, thanks. But tell me, Dick, why are you wearing those dark glasses? Well, Andy Russell might smile, and I'm not taking any chances. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, the teeth. Mary, Mary, you remember, uh, you remember Dick Hames, don't you? Hoo-hoo-hoo! Mary! Well, Dick, I'm certainly thrilled having you as a member of the quartet, but, uh, 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 what? What's the matter, Dick? Can't you understand Portuguese? <laughs> Dick, what I'm trying to say is, well, if you're going to be in the quartet, how much money would you want? $35 a week. $35 a week? Well, now, Jack, if you're going to start haggling, just forget about it. No, 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 I'm not haggling. I mean, I... I think you're worth every cent of it, you know? But of course, I can't make hold a... it... Hold it, Jack, hold it. Here comes another member of the quartet. Bing Crosby! Yeah! When the blue of the night meets the gold of the day, L-S-M-F-T. Bing Crosby, I can't get over it. You were expecting maybe a transcription. <laughs> no, no, it's just that I'm... Well, look, it's just that I'm... I'm so surprised, I'm so surprised to see you. By the way, Bing, how's Dixie? Ask Senator Claghorn. <laughs> oh, Crosby, you shouldn't have wasted that one here, hoping to give you two bucks for it. Well, we needed that one. Now, Bing, believe me, I'd love to have you as one of my quartet, but, uh... Fifty dollars. I understand Portuguese. Fifty dollars? Wait a minute, Bing. Andy Russell and Dick Hames are both willing to work for thirty-five dollars. Why do you want fifty? I got four kids. <laughs> Oh, yes, yeah, I read where you're going to put him in the movies. Yeah, one of them is almost nine. It's, he's been loafing around the house long enough, I guess. <laughs> well, look, fellas, I know that you're all good singers individually, and Dennis has been with me a long time, but do you think you can all give me what I want as a quartet? Um... <laughs> Wait a minute, fellas, that's your idea of a quartet. You're starting off on the wrong foot. Don't worry, Jack, don't worry. They're just warming up. Now, do you want to hear what they prepared? Of course, of course. Now, let's see. 35 and 35 is 70, and 50 is 120. <laughs> Not bad. All right, Don, let's see if they're worth... I mean, let's see what they've got to offer. Okay, fellas, let's have it. I'll be loving you always With a love that's true always Always When the things you plan Need a helping hand I will understand Always, always LSMFT Always Fellas, wait a minute That's the smoke for me Oh, who the hell picked out this key, Dennis Day? 
a little more lively. Do you think you can do it? For, uh, yes, I think sir. Mr. You Crosby uh, sure. let loose with his offstage uh, comment on that show. <laughs> Something that you couldn't say that. You could say it now. Right. But you couldn't say it then. Yeah. He that's said, who the hell picked this key? Right. Yeah, then yeah. he said Dennis Day or something. Yeah. Like that. And that's yeah. when Crosby said, who picked this key, Dennis Day? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> and then also another time he says, hey, Dennis, you better get down where the money is. Because <laughs> here I was with uh, three baritones. <laughs> yeah. It was a lot of fun on those, on those shows. It, it really was, was yeah. fun for the audience, and, and we could listen and feel that everybody on your side of the microphone was having a good time. Yeah, too. well, you went there. You, you enjoyed it. You know, you, We didn't rehearse a great deal because mm-hmm. uh, comedy loses its spontaneity mm-hmm. if you do. You know, Then it becomes too rote and planned, and Jack didn't want to do that. Never rehearsed a, a great deal. You may have one or two readings at most, mm-hmm. and... It it had that sense. I uh, always uh, got a great charge out of going to the Jack Benny rehearsals and the shows itself because you knew you were going to have fun. That was all. Because he'd send the orchestra home. He never, I mean, out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack would never let the orchestra sit there to hear the, the rehearsal of the oh, comedy. Really? No. Because he wanted them to hear it as, for the first time as well as the audience sitting in the audience and the people at home listening to their radios. That's why he loved, you know, Frank Remley. They always put a, uh, a microphone under Frank Remley because Frank Well, those guys all came up through the ranks, you know. I mean, they knew what they were doing. Because when you're around Benny, you were around a guy that he and Fred Allen and guys like that, they're timing, you know. They're um, like Benny used to have office hours in Beverly Hills. Those writers had to be there, didn't they? They were there at a certain time. He sat at the table. Nobody took bits home like they do now. Mm-hmm. You do this and you two writers do. No way. You sat right at the table and started this thing. And I've been in there sometime. Jack and I, we really got along. And I've been in there sometime when they had a line for me to break the building down. Mm-hmm. And Benny would say, no, does not fit his character. I've been too long building it up. In other words, he protected, protected. Mm-hmm. You hear a lot of other shows, they had a guy in the air one time, they had him doing this, doing that. First thing you know, they burn him out. When he came to me one time, he said, there's no way to kill you. I found you four stories down in the basement. I brought you out, I had you married, I had you drinking, I had two kids, I had you back on the booze again. He said, there's no way to kill you. (laughs) Because people knew it wasn't true, you know. See, that was Benny's whole stock and trade. You had to have something that he could magnify. In other words, when after Kenny Baker left, we couldn't find a singer. Benny, he always wanted a tenor. That's what Benny wanted to fit in there. So we finally saw this picture. We went into the Bronx, and McNulty is his real name. And I went over, and uh, we had I had dinner over at his house. And his old man, we call him Tiptoes McNulty. He was <laughs> rushing the can, you know, Schaefer's beer. And at the first rehearsal, Jack looked over and he said, Dennis, and Dennis said, yes, please. Well, that was it. That was he. See, he had to find something that he could magnify. Boy, what a crowd. Stick close to me, Phil. You too, Mary. I don't want you to get lost. Okay, Papa. Hmm. Are you going to take us to see Santa Claus, Daddy? <laughs> Type down, both of you. Got to have some system here. Now, let's see my Christmas list. I got to buy a compact or something for my Aunt Molly. A lawnmower for Dennis. (laughs) A Mickey for my writer. (laughs) See. A deck of cards for Simney. (laughs) Let's see. What else here? Gee, look at that crowd of women at the bargain counter. Where? Oh, boy, what a mob. See you later, Jackson. I'm going over and mingle. See you later. <laughs> Gosh, I wish I knew what to get for Aunt Molly. Mary, I wonder if she could use a lipstick. Has she got lips? What do you think? 
she got lips. Here's a counter. Here. Yes, sir. What can I do for you? Uh, I'd like a lipstick, please. Oh, come now. <laughs> Look, it's not for me. I'm buying it for my Aunt Molly. I see. A lipstick for your Aunt Molly. That's who it's for. She lives in Chicago on LaSalle Street. What number? I don't know the number. Oh, you don't know the number, and yet you want to send a lipstick to your Aunt Molly. I'm not going to send it. I'm going to take it to her. I'm going to stop off in Chicago on my way to California. Oh, I suppose you're the only one that ever went to California. <laughs> what are you talking about? I live in California. I got a home there. Well, I've got a home here, but I don't brag about it. I wasn't bragging. Now, look, mister, all I want is a lipstick. Am I going to get it or not? Sorry, I've decided against you. <laughs> Next case, please. That guy isn't screwy, then I don't know why. More trouble over a lipstick. Mary, I ought to go over to the grocery department and get Don a case of Jell-O. He'll love it for Christmas. And why don't you get two cases so you can fill a stocking? I'll get all the six flavors. That'll do it. And Mary, while we're in the store, I think I'll buy a collar button. I need one. Yeah, your Adam's apple ain't practical. It's just an emergency. I lost the button. There's the men's department over there. <laughs> she looks like Babe Marks. <laughs> Come on, Mary, let's get that collar button. <laughs> I haven't got much time. You'd have plenty of time if you stopped flirting with that girl. Who was flirting? She thought I was a floor walker, didn't she? Well, you didn't have to roll your big blue eyes at her. Mary, just because my eyes happen to be large and devil may carriage. <laughs> don't have to accuse me of flirting. Here we are. Good evening, sir. What can I do for you? I'd like to buy a collar button. A collar button? Yes, sir. Now, here's a nice one for $85. $85 for a collar button? Yes, that includes dress shirt, tie, socks, patent leather shoes, and a double-breasted tuxedo. Well, that's a good buy, all right, but all I want is a collar button. Sorry, we never break up a set. Well, now, that's ridiculous. You know, mister, I've shopped in every city in the United States, but I've never been in a store like this. I tried to buy some lipstick a few minutes ago. Lipstick? Oh, come now. <laughs> It sounds silly, but I had a good reason. Palm Springs was the real or fictional setting for uh, a number of Jack Benny shows each year. That's right. In the old radio days, we used to go down two or three times a year. Mm -hmm. And we'd do a show from Palm Springs that related to Palm Springs or the trip to Palm Springs. But it all had something to do with Palm Springs. The most memorable ones for Jack Benny radio fans is a show he would do first or second week in December from Palm Springs, and it was the Christmas shopping show. Oh, yeah. And Jack would go into the department store, <laughs> and he'd be trying to buy gifts for all the members of the cast, but the whole thing revolved around a gift for Don Wilson. Shoelaces. Shoelaces. <laughs> the generous man. <laughs> Or golf tees. <laughs> it could be. Golf tees <laughs> or uh, cufflinks. Yes. Just uh, one or two others. I more or less kept the comedy for Jack in the program. Mm -hmm. See, I did his train caller, his violin teacher, his Maxwell, his, the man who was uh, always the salesman in the, at Christmas time in the department store, and several other voices for Jack. What was that famous voice then at the railroad station? I think that seems to be one of the most... Oh, popular. yeah, that was the train caller. It says, train ending on track five for Anaheim, Azusa, and Kukamonga. You know, a lot of people thought those were phony towns, but those now, are real towns around Los Angeles. Jack Benny and his gang, who are en route from New York to Hollywood, have reached Chicago. So we pick them up at the station where they are about to board the train going west. Take it away! Hey, Rochester, did you see the rest of the gang? No, boss, I guess we're the first ones here. Doggone it. You know what, Rochester? I forgot to tip the taxi driver. Why didn't you remind me? I thought it was premeditated. <laughs> well, it wasn't. All aboard! Train leaving on track five for Memphis, New Orleans, Jacksonville, Palm Beach, Miami, and Montreal. Board... Montreal? Listen, Mr. Montreal is in Canada. It's nowhere near Miami. All right, so I made one little mistake. 
Fine train announcer. Hey, Ma, get a load of this. Junior, stop staring at that man in the blue and yellow overcoat. For heaven's sake, yes. <laughs> have you ever seen an overcoat like this before? No, and neither have you. Hmm. Junior, I'm sorry, mister. You'll have to excuse him for being so precocious. So what? That means fresh, adult. <laughs> I know what it means, and stay away from me. Hey, Rochester. Yes, sir? Our train leaves in 10 minutes. Where's my brown leather bag? I thought you was carrying it. Me? You probably left it on the street when we got out of the taxi. Somebody must have stolen it by now. That old thing? <laughs> yes, all my belongings are in it. Now go get it. Okay, boss. I'll be back in a flash with the trash. <laughs> All the careless, good for no... Oh, hello, Don. Hello, Jack. Where's the rest of the gang? They're around here somewhere. Say, it's pretty cold here in Chicago, isn't it? Oh, it sure is. Well, well, I see you finally got an overcoat. Yeah. That one's kind of loud for you, isn't it, Jack? Yes, it is. <laughs> it's warm, though. <laughs> All aboard! Train leaving on track seven for Peoria, Emporia, Oskaloosa, Tuscaloosa, Toscanini, Vini Vini, and Rum Elbow. Board! <laughs> From Elbow, that guy's nuts. Gee whiz, Don, it's getting late. I wonder what's keeping the rest of the gang. Oh, don't worry, Jack. They'll show up. Yeah. Mr. Benning, I looked all around the station. I can't find your bag anywhere. Well, of course it's not in the station. You left it out on the sidewalk. Now go and get it. Okay. Say, boss, it's kind of chilly outside. Can I have my overcoat? <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> His coat. You know, Don, someday Rochester's gonna carry that kidding too far. Come on, Mary. Say, Jack, I wish you'd take off Rochester's coat. Everybody's staring at you. Mary, this isn't Rochester's coat. Oh, no? Look at that lodge button on the lapel. Lodge button? Yeah, since when do you belong to the sons and daughters of the Deep South? <laughs> I don't belong. I'm just an honorary member. <laughs> Here's the newsstand. We've only got about five minutes. All aboard! Hmm. Train leaving on track 11 for White Sulphur Springs, Warm Springs, Palm Springs, Hot Springs, and Simmons Mattresses. <laughs> Simmons Mattresses? Where's that? Right near Boulder Dream. Well, I deserve that. Here's the newsstand, Mary. What do you want? Uh, let me see. There's photo play and the Saturday evening pose. And... Yeah, and there's Collier's. Yes, sir. Is there anything I can do for you? I beg your pardon? I said, is there anything I can do for you? Yes, we'd like to buy some magazine. <laughs> we only had about a page and a half of dialogue on the show. But you better believe that it was the best dialogue mm -hmm. that possibly could be written. Because Jack knew it was good for himself and for all of the characters on the show. No matter how many laughs, he was very happy with all the laughs you might get. And... Uh, at, when the show was over, many people would say, hey, did you hear Dennis or did you hear Phil Harris on the Jack Benny show last night? Mm -hmm. It was still the Jack Benny show because he was the catalyst who manipulated mm -hmm. the whole thing. The jokes bounced off of him. He was the butt of most of the jokes. And we got the laughs, but it's still, he uh, was a genius in that sense. The era, you know, that we went through, mm -hmm. uh, through the 30s, all the way up into the 50s, the early 50s, when radio was in its heyday. Because everything was uh, gone over the airwaves, you know, it was sound, and everyone could imagine what a person looked like, mm -hmm. what a situation looked like, in their own minds, by sound effects and by the person's voice. Each person who uh, listened to radio formed his own image of what he wanted you to look like or what he thought you looked like or the situation and sound effects. I think that would uh, make a rather interesting study and an interesting book. You know? Well, that's because the listener participated. So yes. Uh -huh. He had to supply the picture. And that he had to. added and to the staying and power. The, of and that. the sound effects uh -huh. were all important. I know Jack had a great sense of that. This is a, a tremendous thing. He was very meticulous about his sound effects. Well, you take the vault. Mm -hmm. that he had all those tremendous sound effects with the chains and the alligators in, which <laughs> created in your own mind uh, what the vault in his cellar was. Uh, it was just amazing. By 1937, the Jack Benny program was the highest rated on radio. The secret to Benny's success was his nonchalant delivery. 
Jack Benny wanted the show to feel as off the cuff as possible. He perfected the interior monologue. He once said, many comedians open with a monologue, but I did mine in a different way. You might hear footsteps along a sidewalk and hear me talking to myself, thinking out loud. The cast was everything on the Jack Benny program. You've been hearing Mel Blanc, who is the voice of Bugs Bunny, Porky Pig, Woody Woodpecker, Barney Rubble, Yosemite Sam, Foghorn, Leghorn, and several characters on The Benny Show. One sound I might tell you, Jack Benny was supposed to be visiting Epsom Downs in England, the horse races. And the scriptwriters always tried to throw me with something. They tried to put something in that I couldn't do. And this time they put in Mel Blanc does an English horse whinny. Now, how can you tell the nationality of a horse, you know? So I didn't say anything, and I waited till it came to that spot, and I did an English horse whinny that sounded like this. Well, I guess the Benny was, uh, that was probably your most exposure in all of radio, wasn't it? Uh, uh, yes, it was, uh, yes. Well, the beauty of radio was the fact that you could do more than one voice on television where they see you, you have to more or less do just one character. You've also been hearing from world-famous band leader Phil Harris and writer, actor, producer, and director Elliot Lewis. The two of them, along with Phil Harris's wife, Alice Faye, spun off from the Benny program into the Phil Harris and Alice Faye show. Because we would also double over and do the Benny show. I would be playing the other character on the Benny show, and Phil and I would ride back and forth. I remember once going from CBS to NBC, we cut across the parking lot because the shows backed into each other. Jack was on out here. Show originated 4 to 4.30, and Phil's show originated when we were both on Sundays, 4.30 to 5. They were on later out here, but that fed New York at 7 o'clock, I guess. And they got a, a two-passenger bicycle for Phil and I to ride so they get publicity shots of us. Right? <laughs> we almost blew both shows because neither of us can handle a bike. And I'll tell you something else about Elliot Lewis. He is a very astute guy. And he said at the time, and he's lived it out, that he would never work with anybody after me. And he never did. Yeah, we were like mm -hmm. clockwork. See, he did the Mully guy and two or three things on the Benny show mm -hmm. when I was on that show. And then when we came in, we fit together like a glove. And like he said, and he had the say several occasions to work with other people and he said no not after Phil and then he went into producing it. It's important to note how much leaving General Mills for a lucky strike changed the entire advertising landscape in media advertising at the time. In fact polls that were recorded the year that Benny switched sponsors from General Mills to Lucky Strike which was 1944, 91% of people tested said that they knew Jell-O from the Jack Benny program. A sponsor recognition that number was never again equaled on radio. The last General Mills show was on June 4, 1944, and from October 1st onward, Lucky Strike would sponsor the show. Here's Dennis Day and Don Wilson talking about the integrated commercials and changing sponsors. You had to get those commercials in. That was the important yeah. thing. And, of course, Jack was the first one to do the integrated commercials way back in the 30s by uh, Jell-O again, mm -hmm. and, uh, and then we went from there to Grape Nuts, and then... We went in uh, to uh, LSMFT, Lucky Strike, Green has gone to war yeah. and all of that. But he always integrated the commercials as part of the program. And Lucky Strike came after then. Lucky Strike sponsored Jack and the Benny Show for 15 years. They were the greatest longevity of any client on the show. Uh, General Foods being 10 years for Jell-O, yeah. 15 years for Lucky Strike. It's amazing. You think back... Jack Benny had as his sponsor Jell-O for 10 years and uh, Lucky Strike for 15 years. And today, now here in the 1980s, you're lucky if you get a sponsor to pick up a 30-second commercial during a television special. That's right. No longevity at all. My, how times have changed. Yeah, really have. But you see, the sponsors took pride in the programming in those days. Now, there was always the hue and cry. I'll editorialize for a second here. Good. Always the hue and cry that once they got the network programming out of the hands of the sponsors, the audiences would have better programming. And eventually, through the 50s and the 60s, the programming moved away from the sponsors who really produced the shows through their advertising agency, or most of them. You got it. To the point where now the networks are producing the shows or paying for the shows to be produced, and the sponsors really don't have any interest in it other than the sheer numbers they're getting out, out right. there. 
Whereas in the old days, and you were there with the Jello and with the Lucky Strike things, I believe that the audience, in their response to the sponsor, fortified the sponsor and kept his interest in presenting that program. I think your analysis is very well taken. I don't think anybody can dispute it. Did you have any experiences with the audience responding to a sponsor, either positively or negatively, about anything that was on, on the show? We never had any difficulty in all the shows that I did, particularly with the Benny operation. There was never that conflict between uh, the show and the client. The sponsor, I think, was very well aware of the fact of Benny's integrity mm-hmm. and his great showmanship and his devout attention that he gave to taste that he did on the show. And that was one thing that got Jack a great children's audience. Mm-hmm. because he never tolerated anything on the air that was the least bit off-color in those days. And it was a show that the whole family could listen to with no compunctions whatsoever. Until the 1940s, the National Broadcasting Company was far and ahead the largest of the three major radio networks, the others being the Columbia Broadcasting System and the Mutual Broadcasting System. Because the NBC network owned two distinct networks labeled the Red and the Blue, During the 1930s, accusations were leveled at both NBC and CBS, in part by their rival The Mutual Network, that the two senior network systems engaged in a series of anti-competitive activities by locking up talent through in-house talent bureaus and tightly tying together the system of affiliated stations through onerous contracts. In May of 1940, after a three-year investigation, the Federal Communications Commission issued a scathing report called the Report on Chain Broadcasting. It attacked the affiliation policies of NBC and CBS, as well as the talent booking agency practices. The report proposed limiting each network to one affiliated station per city, which would have a direct impact on NBC's dual network ownership. On December 31, 1941, the Antitrust Division of the Department of Justice filed an antitrust action against NBC and CBS, seeking to break up the network's method of operation. Mutual, at the same time, followed an antitrust suit of its own, amounting to $10.275 million. RCA, NBC's parent company, was forced to sell NBC's Blue Network, which by then, by the way, was not their number one network at all. But it did later become the American Broadcasting Company. This is all said to note that by 1948, NBC had been weakened as the top of the food chain in terms of the broadcasting networks. That year, a tax loophole would change the entire balance of power in the broadcasting landscape. You see, in 1948, an accountant discovered a tax code, which would ultimately mean millions in tax savings for artists like Jack Benny. Under the old code, performers were assessed on 77% of all of their earnings over $70,000, which today would be just over $725,000. However, by incorporating himself as a business and selling his show to the network, Benny would only have to pay 25% under capital gains regulations. RCA slash NBC's David Sarnoff hesitated to take the deal with Benny, and CBS's William Paley jumped at the opportunity. So I moved, and I didn't want to leave NBC. I loved NBC. But I had to make some kind of a deal where I could make some money because here I was getting a terrific salary and was all salary. And I couldn't make a deal for a company. Well, I wouldn't care if I got a million dollars a week. That wouldn't do me any good. What good would that be? With income tax, tax, right. Sure. Right. So the ones that made me the deal and came right through with it quick was CBS. Then, of course, when NBC realized I was going to go, then they were willing to make the deal. But I didn't want to play one against the other, so I merely took CBS. Well, CBS had uh, generally rated NBC at that time, didn't they, with these uh, No, NBC, NBC was, yeah, once I got on, but NBC was really the first network. Then when I moved over, a lot of shows moved over. Mm-hmm. So that made really CBS come up on top. Yeah, I made the million CBS by that move, which I didn't know or didn't think. Some know. of radio's biggest stars followed Benny's jump to CBS, including Amos and Andy, Bing Crosby, and Red Skelton, among others. NBC Radio was never the same. The final NBC broadcast for Jack Benny was heard on December 28, 1948. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we bring you our master of ceremonies, who today... Wait a minute, Don. Wait a minute. Just a minute. Today, I'd like to have the honor of introducing you. 
Me? Yes, Don. Now, give me the microphone. Ladies and gentlemen, it gives me great pleasure to bring you the man who was selected by Fame magazine as America's outstanding radio announcer for 1948. And here he is, Don Wilson. Thank you, and thank you very much, Jack. I really didn't expect you to introduce me like that. Well, why shouldn't I, Don? You deserve it. According to Fame magazine, the radio critics and columnists selected you because you have poise, warmth, perfect enunciation, and a voice with an ingratiating quality that not only invites confidence, but has great dignity. And they're right. Jack, you'll never know how much I appreciate your saying that on the air. Why? I have an uncle in Duluth who thinks I'm nothing but a big, fat slob. <laughs> oh. Well, Don, I don't care what your uncle thinks. I go by Fame magazine, and they chose you the number one announcer for 1948. And to show you my appreciation, I'm going to double your salary. Oh, Jack! No, no, Don. No, no. You deserve it. Next week, your check will be exactly double. Well, gosh, Jack, thanks. And I hope you make good use of the extra money because the following week you'll be back to your original salary. <laughs> what? You're only giving me a raise for one week? Certainly, you were chosen the best announcer for 1948. Now, the following week will start the new year, and who knows who they'll choose in 49. <laughs> you know, when they take that poll next year, your uncle may be right. <laughs> Believe me. Oh, oh, that's very funny, Jack. It really is. No matter what situation arises, you always seem to think of something funny to say. What? <laughs> he got the award for the best announcer. The following week, listeners could tune their dial to CBS at the same Sunday 7 p.m. time slot and hear Jack Benny for CBS Radio. His switch helped CBS television become the communications giant of the 1950s. Jack's first TV broadcast aired on October 28, 1950, and for the next five seasons, the program pulled double duty on both radio and TV. Although he moved to CBS, a great many old standard gags remained, like Jack's Christmas season what program. What are you mumbling about? Nothing, nothing. <laughs> Hey, Phil, what do you got in that package there? Oh, I almost forgot, Jackson. It's, uh, it's a present for you. For me? Yeah. Me and the boys of the band all chipped in and got it for you. Well, thanks, Phil. I'll put it under the tree. No, 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 you don't. Go ahead, open it up now. Okay. See, it's certainly nice of you and the boys. Oh, Phil, thanks. See, a beautiful turtleneck sweater. Oh, gee. Look inside of it, Jackson. Inside? Oh, Phil. Uh, what is it, Jack? A turtle. <laughs> hmm, a fine present to give me. I'll fix him. Come here, Phil. Uh, Phil, uh, sit down on this chair and relax. Huh? huh? Go ahead, Phil. Sit down. Thanks, Jackson. Are you comfortable, Phil? Sure. Good, good. Mary, push in the plot. Oh, Jack, you wouldn't dare. Hand me the plug. I'll give it to him myself. Hey, Jackson, what about my present? Yes, sit where you are. You'll get it. You'll get it. It's a surprise. Mary, watch it, Joe. One, two, three. <laughs> Phil, Phil, don't you feel anything? No, why? Hmm. Well, what about the surprise? What's the matter? Uh, we're having a little trouble at Boulder Dam. <laughs> Mary, I can't understand what went wrong. Phil, stand up a minute. Okay. Now, let's see. There must be something wrong with this thing. Pull it out! Pull it out! Pull it out! The Benny Show remained a television mainstay on CBS until 1963 when James T. Aubrey, president of CBS Television, opted to change programming directions. Aubrey was 24 years younger than Benny and essentially told him, you're through. Benny switched back to NBC for one more season before he made the decision to end his TV series in 1965 
even though he was still pulling in over 18 million viewers each week. He cited advertisers complaining that the commercial time on his show was costing nearly twice as much as what they paid for other TV shows, and Benny also claimed he had grown tired of what he called the rat race. Hello, Rochester. What are you doing home so early? I thought you were going out tonight to celebrate. Well, I was, but things didn't just work out. How about you? I thought you were going out tonight. Huh? Oh, I am. I am. Well, it's nearly midnight. You ought to get started, I think. Boss, on Central Avenue, Father Time waits until we get rolling. <laughs> really? Sometimes we roll right into February. <laughs> well, Rochester, you can go anytime you're ready. Well, what are you going to do, Mr. Benny? Oh, I don't know. I'll just sit around, read a book, and then maybe go to bed. No? Well, gee, I hate to see you here all alone on New Year's Eve. Ah, that's all right. No, it isn't all right. If you're going to stay home, I'm going to stay home with you. <laughs> now, wait a minute, Rochester. You had a whole evening planned, a wonderful time, and I'm not going to spoil it for you. Nope, my mind's made up. I'm going to stay right here with you. Hey. You know, maybe we could have some fun at that. Have we got any horns in the house? No, we sold them all. <laughs> but we still have some of those welcome home MacArthur pennants. We can wave those. No, no, they don't make any noise. Look, Rochester, you had a party planned. You were going out to have a wonderful time. Now, why don't you go and just leave me alone here? For heaven's sake, I don't care, really. No, nope, I'm gonna stay right here with you. Well, if you insist. All right. Say, I know what. I'll open up a new can of beer and we can drink the New Year in together. Now wait a minute, Rochester. Look at. I'll get it. As long as you're willing to give up your party and stay here, I'll tell you what we'll do. We're gonna do this thing right. We'll open up a bottle of champagne. We're gonna witch a what? <laughs> a bottle of champagne. I got it right in the icebox. Okay, I'll get it. I wonder if Mr. Benny's turned over a new leaf. No. <clears throat> hey, Rochester, hurry up. Coming. It's midnight. Now, come on, open it up. Okay. Open it up. I'm opening it. Okay, pour it. There you are. There we are. For yourself, Rochester. All right. Well, Rochester, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too, boss. And I hope we're together for many more. I hope so, too. Here's to it. Here's to it. Should old acquaintance be forgot and never brought. In October of 1974, Benny canceled a performance in Dallas after suffering a dizzy spell, coupled with numbness in his arms. Despite a battery of tests, Benny's ailments could not be determined. When he complained of stomach pains in early December, a first test showed nothing, but a subsequent one showed he had inoperable pancreatic cancer. Jack Benny went into a coma at home on December 22nd and died on December 26th, 1974. Benny's will arranged for a single, long-stemmed red rose to be delivered to his widow, Mary Livingston, every day for the rest of her life. Livingston herself died nine years later, on June 30, 1983. His tombstone has a simple inscription, Beloved husband, father, and grandfather, here lies a gentle man. At the funeral, Bob Hope delivered a eulogy in which he stated, For a man, 
who has been the undisputed master of comedic timing, you'd have to say that this was the only time which Jack Benny's timing was all wrong. He left us much too soon. George Burns, Benny's best friend for more than 50 years, simply broke down and could not continue. Jack Benny was a situation comedy pioneer. Without him, there might not have been an Archie Bunker, a George Jefferson, or a Larry David. Today, Jack Benny is remembered as one of the most forward-thinking comedians of the 20th century. His on-again, off-again comedic feud with Fred Allen goes down in the lores of comedic history. We didn't even touch upon it today. If you are interested in hearing more about his feud with Fred Allen, please go to Breaking Walls episode number 53, which spotlights their feud. I would like to especially thank Chuck Shaden for his interviews with Dennis Day, Phil Harris, Don Wilson, and Jack Benny. The full versions of these interviews are available to stream for free or to download for a small fee at speakingofradio.com. I'd also like to thank Dick Bertel and the late Ed Corcoran for their interviews with Elliot Lewis and Mel Blanc. All of their interviews from the 1970s Hartford-based Golden Age of Radio programs can be found at the Old Time Radio Researchers Library at otrrlibrary.org. The episodes featured in today's broadcast were originally heard on radio for NBC December 11th, 1938, December 18th, 1938, December 24th, 1944, March 16th, 1947, and December 26th, 1948, and on television for CBS on December 31st, 1953. The music featured on today's episode was Jingle Bells and We Wish You a Merry Christmas by J.P. Torres, Adam Carroll's Christmas Greetings for both 1925 and 1929, The First Noel by John Tasker Howard, Romanian Fantasy by Dave Tarras, Cheek to Cheek, sung by Andy Russell, New York is My Home, sung by Dick Hames, I'll Be Home for Christmas, sung by Bing Crosby, Blue Christmas by the Atlantic Five Jazz Band. You can find Breaking Walls on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn, or by following at The Wallbreakers on SoundCloud, and you can also go to thewallbreakers.com. You can find our Wallbreakers Unity t-shirt line at thewallbreakers.com shop. The next time you hear my voice will be for Breaking Walls episode number 71, and that will drop on December 15th. I hope that you've enjoyed today's episode and a look back at the Jack Benny program, specifically centered around his Christmas shopping and Christmas episode escapades. If you're an old standard when it comes to the knowledge behind old-time radio, I'm sure you've enjoyed this. And if this is something that you've just discovered for the first time and are enjoying, I'm glad that I could help introduce you to the golden age of radio. So, my name is James Scully. This has been Breaking Walls episode number 70. And until December 15th, I'll catch you on the flip side. Thank you very much and happy holidays. This is WBBN, the Wallbreakers Broadcasting Network. Thank you, and good afternoon.